there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. He's almost in. He's on the road. He's with us now on the Robert Scabell Show. Advanced Medicine starts officially now. MedicalRewind.com for all the archives. And where are we going? For all of you live listeners, you have an advantage today because we are announcing immediately following the Robert Scabell Show this evening a special webinar open only for those of you who have signed up through Mango4Health.com. Invitation code 1358. We'll give you more information on that. Q&A, a special Q&A session with Dr. Batar you do not want to miss. Dr. Batar, welcome back, my friend. Be safe on the road, please. I am being safe on the road, Robert. Thank you again. Uh, I just want to ask you a question. Do you have any idea how many people have done what all the marketing gurus said would never happen? Take a wild guess how many people joined IADFW. Well, I, I just need to reiterate that the marketing people said uh, that no one would sign up because it's too difficult. People aren't going to answer the questions and, and check off the blocks that you you know to be part of uh, the membership of this private organization. And of course, they were wrong. <laughs> the, as usual, the experts were wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not hundreds; exactly. it could be thousands. Yeah, but it's it's, uh, it's over sixteen hundred. So I'm very. Pleased, and this comes back to what we've discussed before. The awareness of the general public is exponentially increasing. There are a lot of clicks, a lot of hoops to jump through, a lot of uh, pages that they had to go through and agree before they could become members. But it's a testament to the intelligence of the listening audience that they understood the value of what they were doing and understood also the necessity of why we were having them do this. So... Uh, I commend the listeners, and I would venture to say, Robert, that our listeners are far more intellectually superior than the listeners of most radio shows and most people out there. So I think we have a higher intelligence quotient in our listening audience. But, but at the same time, not elitist in any way, shape, or form. Very welcoming of the intelligence, the engagement of discussion at the levels we get to do it. And, of course, they also have a good sense of humor because they laugh with us and sometimes even at us, particularly at me. <laughs> unless it's, well, actually, unless, uh, if, if, it is, if it is elitist in any way, yes. then it's elitist in the sense that our audience is, is elitist. In other words, I'm not talking about us, I'm talking about us as a, not you and me, but us as a group of people, mm-hmm. because you have to understand that people that are listening to us, they must be more um, aware, they must yes. be more cognizant of what's going on around them, they must be more uh, realizing of the actual situation as opposed to the facade, or the, as opposed to mm-hmm. the things that most people would take for, you know, they, they think to be conspiratorial, they think to be, oh, it's not it's the poo poo or whatever the case may be. So my hmm. point is that the the audience has to be more aware and more cognizant of their environment and what's going on, and that's just how I feel. At least I think that. Well, I, I think you know we take comfort in being able to see through the illusion. We, we don't take comfort in the illusion. Being able to see the clear, clearly, you know, what has been uh, descended over our eyes to to entrap us, to enslave us, and uh, you know, let's face it, a lot of folks 
not so comfortable with that anymore. And right. recognizing that a lot of folks are, but we're not talking about or to them necessarily. Those of you who are ready, taking the steps with us, have been doing advanced medicine for years together here. And, of course, taking that step to activate, you know, if you go to Mango4Health, the number 4, health.com, if you, you look in the show notes at robertscottbell.com, there's an invitation code because you just can't sign up. You, in order to become a member, you have to be invited. And that allows you to come into a place, a private association, where there is now the full-on activation of freedom of speech without reservation, where we can discuss things there that we can't even do on this show. I think the biggest thing is that people don't have their heads in the sand anymore, and especially our audience has their head way out of the sand. They're much more aware, and they're not afraid to open the door and let the light shine in because that's the one thing. Once you've stepped into the light from the darkness, you can't ever go back into the darkness. Yeah, unless you take lots of drugs approved by the FDA. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which we are not doing. So there, take that. Uh, by the way, I thought it was a funny story about NASA utilizing colloidal silver on the space station, acknowledging Russia's been doing that for years as well because it eradicates all microbes in the water. And yet the FDA, you know, I was thinking they're going to send a rocket ship up to put a halt to that because they don't want to allow anybody to say the truth about what silver can do down here on planet Earth. Well, silver has been one of the one of the oldest, as we've already discussed many times before, but also one of the one of the uh, oldest things even used in conventional medicine. And you know silverdine, which is the mm-hmm. drug of choice for burns, which was developed where I did my surgical training at the Institute of Surgical Research at Brook Army Medical Center. Silverdine is the mainstay, the first therapy that's used in any type of burn trauma patient, first, second, or third degree burns. And right. it's all silver-based. In fact, that's why it's called silverdine. So, but it's a drug. Yep. Well, exactly, and, and that's the thing when, when doctors are, are so ill-equipped because either they don't have the time or inclination to look beyond the limitations of their training and recognize that their own profession uses a lot of the things that some in their profession will trash and say there's no scientific evidence to support. Right, exactly. I think copper is actually one of the similar types of things that they used to use that copper that way, too. And Copper actually does have a bacteriocidal uh, oh, absolutely. Well. It's kind of like where silver takes takes off at the top end of the fungal scale, where higher-order fungal species or parasites, it doesn't have as much impact. Copper comes right in there, and it has some crossover into where silver also is an antimicrobial, but it has an even higher impact, if you will, against parasitic species. So it's very complimentary. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's interesting that there's a couple of different minerals that way that, that actually have an effect that way. If you think about selenium, for example, selenium is a very powerful antioxidant. Uh, copper is very important. So is, uh, uh, there are some of these minerals that we've discussed before. But now when you start looking at the opposite end of the spectrum, if you take selenium in too high of a concentration, it can have an oxidative uh, effect, as can copper, um, as can silver. But silver, you have to be really, really high up there before you actually have any type of detrimental effect. Um, but copper and selenium, Mm-hmm. Such as have, have both have antimicrobial uh, components too. You know, everybody thinks of silver, and they kind of naturally uh, think silver is antibacterial, antiviral. But copper, and, and to a lesser extent, selenium. I don't think most people realize that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, I've, obviously, you know how, how I feel about selenium. The, the science is so well studied too. Much less I've seen it clinically work extraordinary in the appropriate uh, form and dose. It's just as powerful at micrograms that you know the vitamin C has to do in grams. And that's not knocking vitamin C. These are different things. But they, you know, there are many ways to get where we want to go. Is the point. 
And that's what we like to be able to encompass all of that, bring it all in, and share clinically what is working the most efficiently. And that's part of what the Q&A, of course, will hit in the webinar just following the live broadcast here of the Robert Scott Bell Show, Advanced Medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. And, of course, go to Mango for Health, sign up. You still have time. You can be part of it. This great Q&A coming up. Now, I didn't mean we were going to go into the antibiotic thing, but I thought that silver thing was sort of funny with FDA not having jurisdiction in space. But there's a story here about a trio of failed, antibiotics. They threw them all together. This three-drug combination. They don't work on their own, but let's throw them together. And they found that suddenly, hey, look, it's working against um, MRSA. And and I'm thinking, you know what? It's got to be so toxic, it's obliterating all healthy cells as well, because that's what the antibiotics were doing to begin with before there was resistance. What were the, what were the three antibiotics? Uh, here, let me look in here. It says, uh, let's see, I'm hoping they're listed. I'm going down, going down, three drugs, three drugs. They keep saying three drugs, and they don't give me the names. Well, the thing well, is, they... the reason I'm asking is because, you know, if it's methyl-resistant staph aureus, then theoretically any antibiotic would not be effective. For example, the penicillins, the macrolides, the cephalosporins, the um, uh, fluoroquinolones. Here, I found the name. Okay. I found I found the three. It's called meropenem, piperacillin, and tazobactam. They're right, beta lactams. So, yeah. So the last one is, it seems like it's a uh, it's a sulfamethoxazole type drug, possibly. The second one was a penicillin. What was yep. the first one? A meropenem. That sounds like that may be a penicillin class too. I'm not familiar. Yeah, with but they're that saying one, that they they admitted Dr. Bittar that they haven't worked. For decades, but somehow the three of them together, uh, and, you know, let's let's say what they are. The three of them together become so toxic that temporarily they might be able to defeat the uh, genetic expression against methicillin. You know, but that doesn't well, mean that it's going to be in any different outcome. Yeah, but you got to re- remember what they're talking about too. They're seeing a decrease in the virulence of that particular species of whatever the methyl resistant staph aureus. And if it's methyl resistant staph aureus, we're talking about. They see a reduced a reduction in the virulence of it, but that doesn't mean that it's eradicating it. If in fact anything, it's probably allowing it to mutate and adapt so that it becomes more resistant. In fact, the whole per- the whole reason it's called methyl resistant staph aureus is because it's resistant to to the uh, antibiotic class of drugs. So now, if you're giving it something that has a temporary abation, well, that doesn't mean anything. All that means is it's temporary. It's allowing it to further mutate further become adaptogenic and mutagenic and then become more resistant and now you've mm-hmm. got even a worse situation on your on your plate oh i agree i mean this is indeed where it's going it's only a matter of time before the resistance is developed to, to uh this i mean people have asked me why there hasn't been resistance developed to silver and i said well there's so many pathways that silver works it's not just a a, a uni focus if you will like they have with engineered drugs and of course they're they're kind of trying to mimic i think that by saying well if one doesn't do it let's throw three at it it'll be toxic for a while until it finds a way to survive because what nature always finds a way right exactly um, I think also one of the one of the things to remember is that many of these drugs they inhibit pathways. They block the metabolic process continuing. So the inherent physiological principles that are at play are being compromised in an individual when you're using these various types of drugs. Whereas a natural substance enhances pathways. So silver has many immuno uh, stimulant properties as well. 
So there's mm-hmm. a difference in, and if you were looking at this as a car, you're talking about a natural substance more often than not. I mean, the general rule, this isn't 100% absolute, but generally speaking, it's moving forward. So it'd be like putting the car in drive versus yeah. antibiotics or some type of drug putting in reverse. Right, exactly. Listen, we got to take a break here. Advanced Medicine is on. You can catch it, the uh, archives, of course, at medicalrewind.com, as well as uh, here at our syndicator, GCN, and naturalnewsradio.com. Check it out. we got a lot more healing to go. What is the number one uh, ailment impacting soldiers? Next. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. Information is so good, it requires no expiration date. The Robert Scott Bell Show. If someone were to ask me what is the number one health problem soldiers face, I, I almost, you know, and Dr. Batar, you can obviously chime in on this. I'd say that they're being destroyed by vaccines the moment they sign up, the moment they come in. But this Huff Post article says it's sleep. They're not sleeping enough. What, what's your perspective? You've also been a soldier. I guess once a soldier, always a soldier. But uh, you have perspective on this as well. I think that the statement that the number one problem is sleep disorder, not vaccine injury, would possibly be highly suspect. And the reason I say that is because how do we know that the vaccine, the incredible number of vaccines that they're inundated with, are not actually causing a physiological disruption, which eventually leads to a sleep disorder as well as many other disorders? Right, right. Yeah, no, it is exactly right, because they don't study that. I mean, what's the impact of all of these experimental vaccines on soldiers when they go in there? Does it increase the likelihood of PTSD, right? Uh, what about the sleep disorder and the relationship? What other ailments do we talk about? Headaches. Headaches, number one, A, if you will, with the sleep disorder issue. Exactly. So, I mean, there's so many different things. Obviously, you've got the trauma, the scene, the emotional disruptions they're going through, the separation from their family, from their loved ones for extended periods of time. You know, facing the potential uh, outcome of uh, of losing their life, uh, being in a hostile environment, having a constant stress of uh, the flight fight, the constant sympathetic mimetic overdrive that they have to deal with. So all these things are going to contribute to uh, the, the post-traumatic aspect, but also the anxiety aspect that may prevent sleep. And then, of course, you've got on top of that just, uh, just the entire... A problem with the whole drive system in the you know in the in the body being constantly in in overdrive. Kind of like think of it as an engine that's running and you're grabbing it constantly. It's hard for that engine to then shut down when it needs to shut down. It's constantly on the alert. So these things, and then you of course talk about the physiological response, the, the increase in heart rate, the increase in blood pressure, the, the, the increase in uh, peripheral vascular resistance that the heart has to overcome. All these things are going to lead to potential disruptions of sleep or so what would what, what, be manifested as yeah. disruptions of sleep. so what would we offer i mean if for insomnia that the pharmacological response is here's an ambient here's a lunesta here's a tranquilizer what can we do to these truths of course we would say how do we detoxify the garbage that's in their system so that they can actually recover well even these people that that are being prescribed these drugs even these people, let's, let's not talk about soldiers just for a second. Even the people that are getting these drugs, that's their essential problem is that their entire metabolic process has been shifted. They're toxic. And so 
uh, a raw nerve is going to be more sensitive. So they're not going to basically be able to downregulate and sleep and rest and recharge their batteries. And so then you basically blunt their response with drugs. Well, it's the same thing that's happening with the soldier. But you're absolutely right. The key, the answer here is detoxification uh, and then mineral repletion, you know, the nutrient aspect. So as with everything, when we talk about cancer, for example, it's either one, a nutrient depletion, or two, a toxicity, usually a combination of both. There's no difference here. It's the same type of thing. It may be affecting different pathways, but it's either one, a micronutrient deficiency, or two, more than likely a toxicity, and usually both, combination of both. Hmm. Now, I know there are people that differ in their sleep patterns that may still be healthy, I imagine, because I know you have some, some you don't sleep as much as the average bear, as far as I, I, I can remember in, in interacting with you, Dr. Batar, over the years. I tend to like to sleep a solid night through, and then I'm up and at them. If, if I get sleep deprived at a certain point, I won't say I'll start hallucinating, but I'll get pretty silly until I go, I'm done, I'm out of here, I'm not functioning anymore. Well, it's... Uh... You're right, but part of it's also a learned adaptive behavior. So all during my uh, emergency medicine years and before that general surgery residency, uh, my body got very used to getting by with just a couple hours of sleep. And it's not that I don't like to sleep. I love to sleep. It's just that I need 28 hours in a day, and there's only 24. Mm-hmm. I, God in his infinite wisdom only put 24 hours in a day. And for whatever reason, I, you know, I, I just need to get four extra hours, so I just reduce the sleep aspect, but it, it's an adaptive response. People can do uh, it. Not that that's good or not that that's a desired thing, but the essential part of sleep that you need is the rapid eye movement phase, which you're getting about 30 to 45 minutes in an eight-hour sleep cycle. I believe that I'm getting closer to an hour and a half, you know, off a REM sleep, so I get that restful sleep. But, but we'll talk about that when we come back from break, because this is an important part about sleep. Sure. Yeah, we'll hit the sleep cycle a little bit more. Not putting you to sleep just yet because there's a big webinar afterwards for all of y'all who signed up at Mango for Health, mangoforhealth.com. It's up. The links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. Sign up right now, and you can be part of that Q&A with Dr. Batar following the show this evening. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Rocking the health world through the power of radio. It's the Robert Scott Bell Show. For those of you who have already signed up at Mango for Health and are now members of the IADFW, you will be accessing a Q&A session webinar with Dr. Rasha Bittar immediately following the show this evening. But the question is, do you know how to do it? If you're already a member, Dr. Batar, is it easy? Is it hard? How will they find the webinar that we're going to crank up? It's actually very easy, Robert, to just sign into their account on the IDFW site through advancedmedicineinfo.com or through their Mango site. It doesn't matter which site. Same username, same password. And when they get to the Mango site, just look to the right-hand side, and they should see a link there for registering for the webinar. That's it. And uh, okay. they'll get the link. Yeah, they get the information sent to their email. They can just sign in. Good. And if you haven't signed up yet, for uh, go to MangoForHealth.com. The invitation code for Robert Scottbell Show listeners, unique to you, to us, 1358. Sign up now. You'll still get in on time. Uh, it, and by the way, it's, it's a dollar membership for life instead of 99 per year because you're invited because of this show, because of Dr. Batari. He's so awesome. Now, the sleeping. Sleeping. It's not time to sleep just yet. 
But the insomnia issue, it's a real issue. It's a crisis of, of all kinds of things that can happen when you don't get the adequate sleep. And I, I appreciate your discussion of the what you call the adaptive response, and there are ways to drive deeply into REM if you've trained yourself to do so. But insomnia is a real problem for a lot of folks. Absolutely, Robert. In fact, when I was in college, I remember I suffered from insomnia. I couldn't sleep. Do you want to have a, a, a guess as to, as to how I got over my insomnia issue? Um, more coffee. No, no, actually, you know, I don't drink coffee, but it's interesting. There was two components. The first phase was, um, actually a relaxation tape that I got installed through psychocybernetic. I essentially, uh, read this book and learned to relax from starting with the toes and going all the way up. It's, It's almost like a meditative technique when you lay in bed. But the other thing that I found that was really, really effective was reading my physics textbook. It's knocking out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was, are you sure it wasn't metaphysics? No, no, it wasn't. It wasn't metaphysics. Actually, I, I hated physics when I was in college, but then when we got ready to take the MCAT during junior year, um, I realized that physics is my weakest subject. And so while getting ready for the MCAT, I not only learned physics better, but I learned that I love physics. And it's my last year of college, my senior year. I took four different physics courses, 500-level courses, and got A's in them, which was you know unheard of. So people thought wow. I was a mutant. But promise, I think my professors were boring. And this, the original professors were boring in physics. But the point is that if you get something that that you have a hard time concentrating on, or something that you don't find interesting, something that you essentially find boring for whatever reason, start reading it. So if you're hmm. if you're a male and you find cooking boring, pick up a cookbook and start reading it. Or <laughs> You know, if you're a woman and you find, you know, working underneath the engine of a car boring, pick up a book on on books, a book on uh, engineering, engine repair or something like that. Whatever the case is, just find something that causes you to start to lose focus and kind of daydream. And that's really the whole point is that your mind starts to shut down and starts to relax, starts to go into that that's great another technique. world, if you will, and helps great. you relax. Exactly. Yeah. I appreciate that technique as well. And, of course, uh, uh, adaptogens to rebuild the adrenals that may have burned out through the insomniac years. I know there's a lot of rebuild that has to do be done. And, of course, if you haven't read the international best-selling book by Dr. Rasha Bittar, you can learn how to do that there as well, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Uh, Dr. Bittar, of Robert, course, that book, yeah. that book will not help them get insomnia, though. That book will uh, keep them too awake, but they probably That's don't true. want to read that book. I was wanting them to rebuild their bodies at that point. That was my motivation there. I got uh, now, <laughs> now, not to be outdone by Angelina Jolie and her desire to teach women how to remove body parts before they're cancerous uh, because of genetic biomarkers. Uh, there's a new study published in the Journal of uh, Clinical Oncology. Researchers at Jefferson and three other institutions reviewed clinical records of almost 400 men who had undergone radical prostatectomies and found 20 genes known as biomarkers associated with prostate cancer. Uh Uh-oh, here we go again. They are now going to try and convince men to have their prostate removed should they test positive for any one of these 20 biomarkers. You know, I had this patient that came to me recently, Robert, and uh, he's actually a listener of the show. He's been a listener of the show for some time now, from what I understand, and uh, he knew about our clinic beforehand, but became an avid listener, loves the show, by the way, and he had been diagnosed with prostate cancer, and the family practice doctor that diagnosed him referred him to an oncologist, and 
uh, you saw a urological surgeon, they want to do their surgery, they want to do some other things, they want to do the seed implant with radiation pellets. <clears throat> and he was like in his mid-70s, he's an avid cyclist, works out regularly. And he asked me, honestly, he said, you know, what should I do? Should I have my prostate taken out? And the problem is with the prostate, there's so many components, so many aspects of the prostate, very similar to a female's uterus, that we don't understand all the roles. And to remove that body part, the problem is you can't put it back in. So prostate cancer is such a slow-growing cancer anyway, it would be foolish to have it removed because once a person's had a radical prostatectomy, they're never going to be able to have um, a, a, a normal erection again, and they're always going to have incontinence. Now, on the counterpoint, let's say that they don't end up doing the prostatic prostatectomy, and they leave the cancer in there. It is such a slow-growing cancer anyway. It's going to take 15 to 20 years before it's going to have any other detrimental effect. If the person is 70, he's going to be 90 before you're going to actually have something that's going to really affect you. Some people would argue with you about that, but I'm talking about without any treatment. Now you add, if you do some type of treatment that is going to be non-chemo, non-radiation-based, non-surgical-based, and, and improve your health by better nutrition, detoxification, and do some other aspect of therapy that can help to reduce the oncogenic process, you're going to have just as long lifespan as anybody else. Dr. Dawes in Germany did a study, and he was actually giving a presentation over 10, 12 years ago, and I remember the one thing that he said is that when when they did the study, they took out, they compared men that had their prostate taken out uh, for cancer versus patients that left the prostate in place. And they found that the people that had radical prostatectomies, for whatever, you know, same cancer, same everything else, the people that had the radical prostatectomies had a 18-month uh, post-surgical mortality rate versus the other group having something like a three-and-a-half-year lifespan after after being diagnosed with cancer. So from the point of surgery, same cancer, same stage, but from the point of surgery, the people that had surgery lived only a year and a half versus the other group that lived three and a half years. So hmm. that's the mean age. So that was an average of two years increased lifespan by doing nothing. Unbelievable, but it is believable. It's, it, and it's just so... Uh, typical of the uh, the resilience, if you will, and I don't say that positively, of those who have this agenda to keep frightening us into believing that we've got genetic causes, primary causes of cancer, and that if you have a genetic biomarker, it means that cancer is going to manifest in your body, completely neglecting environment, completely neglecting and, toxicological assault burden, and neglecting mineral deficiencies, etc. Yeah, and this is a very, very important point for the listeners, for our audience to understand, and that is that it is not the genetic marker that defines your chances of getting cancer. The genetic marker may be an impaired detoxification aspect. It may be a pathway issue, whatever that is. It is the environmental trigger, just as you said, Robert, it is the environmental trigger on board that genetic bio-individuality uniqueness that causes the oncogenic process to start, that causes whatever the problem is to occur. Mm -hmm. I don't think the men will fall for it. It's not that I think men are smarter than women. I just think that they appreciate the, 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 the function of that area of the body, perhaps more than some women who have been frightened into 
by a, a very patriarchal male dominated kind of non-intuitive kind of medicine that says oh my gosh it's your organs that are the cause of your cancer if we could just remove those organs you won't have the problem that maybe your sister your aunt your mother had and that fear of those experiences impacting upon them and they say we're fear-mongering because we promote natural medicine and detoxification when they're the fear mongers who are promoting removal of body parts that God gave us. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, that's exactly the point. And if you, as a listener, understand that the whole agenda is that of taking away your power and you retain your power by not allowing that information to mislead you and, and paralyze you with fear, then by definition you've already won. Hmm. Absolutely, absolutely incredible. But again, this is why we've got to do what we do. This is why Advanced Medicine happens here on the Robert Scott Bell Show each week, and uh, also why uh, the uh, IADFW was formed, a private association, so you can go further into your discussion, our discussion of the things that bring the power to heal back to each and every one of you where it belongs. And that's why this Q&A with Dr. Batar is going to be occurring after the show this evening. So uh, we're just going to post up on social networks how you sign up if you haven't already done so, so you can get plugged in immediately. Remember, you have to be part of the association to get the kind of insight and information that we can't release to the public because there are prohibitions in discussing the things we want to talk to you about. Right, Robert. Also, I want to say that the first uh, free gift was, uh, was basically posted online. And from what I understand, we had a tremendous response in the webinar that I did with Dr. Sherry Tempany and Dr. Victor Marcel Vega regarding vaccines. I believe the name of the webinar was uh, Panacea or Pandora. And so that, that was a webinar that people had to pay to access. And for IADFW members, it's completely free, and that's also online right now at the membership site. I think it's on the left-hand side on the different bars that show the different programs that they have access to without any charge. Excellent, excellent. Now, in terms of remedying prostate issues, uh, there are, I don't want to boil it down to one thing because there's always more than one thing. Obviously, I, I find selenium deficiencies very common in these men. Uh, there are homeopathic remedies, including Sabal, which is known as the salt palmetto in, in non-homeopathic forms. And um, there are uh, you know things within the plant, mineral, and even animal kingdoms that can be used medicinally to help heal the prostate for men and reverse these so-called PSA numbers, which aren't even accurate uh, determiners of uh, ill health specific because the prostate-specific antigen is not specific to the prostate. That's exactly right. We see prostate-specific antigen in women with breast cancer. Well, women don't have a prostate, so then why are they having this uh, marker that shows that shows uh, prostate-specific antigen when if, if it's truly specific to prostate, then it would only be evident in a human being that has a prostate females don't. So that's a right. very, very good point, too. And also for sure. members of the IEDSW, they do have something on the site that I can't talk about. But, you know, yes, that can help there. there. Let's just say that can help there. Uh, by the way, there's a connection between the heart and the gut. Stomach bacteria associated with good health or bad health with the heart. We'll get to that as well. Uh, lots more healing to go in one short segment before the Q&A webinar with Dr. Batar for members that have already signed up. But go sign up now. Angleforhealth.com. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Taking 
taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, we're getting close to the launch of the webinar with Dr. Batar following the show. If you're listening live here, Monday through Friday, uh, 7 to 9 Eastern Time, p.m., and, of course, Sundays 1 to 3 in the afternoon Eastern Time. And right now, as we kick off our Mondays, Advanced Medicine, MedicalRewind.com, another great place to access the archives, hundreds of hours now of great healing information. And we were talking prostate health, Dr. Bittar. You know, here's an example of a place where I'd want to come out and say, this is directly what you can do. Here's something you can take, and you will reverse, for instance, prostate cancer. And we're limited in some, to some degree in saying those things out in the public domain. Yet getting into a private association, suddenly now you're outside of that public health domain and you can speak more freely. And it's a place where we need to be together to reveal these kinds of information, the things that people can access. You're absolutely right, Robert. And I'm hoping that you and I, as well as some of the other people, will be able to get on at least once a week and do a video uh, for our IADFW members. And maybe it's not once a week, maybe it's once every two weeks, but so that we can truly 100% candidly speak from the heart without any restrictions, without feeling concerned about anything else. Yes. Now, if we were to conclude this afternoon and evening, depending on where you're listening right now, uh, we have to go to the microbiome. So much more is being learned about the gut ecology and how these microbes impact every aspect of our health, not just immunity, digestion, uh, neurotransmitters, uh, fat levels, lipid levels in the blood. In fact, a new study is finding that the microbiome critical for heart health, 34 microorganisms now identified in the human digestive tract that may influence a person's weight and blood lipid levels. The more diverse the ecology, if you will, the more healthy the levels appear to be. Now, you and I, Dr. Patel, we talk off the air about this as well, uh, you know, it's not like we don't use or promote probiotics, but the reality is we've got to heal the body. We've got to get the body in the right shape to accept the right balance, if you will, or this ecological variety that they're saying is so critical for good health, including good heart health. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of things that have an impact on, on heart health. We know that oral health has a tremendous impact on heart health. In fact, they say that 95% of all chronic diseases come from the mouth. Uh, so we know that cardiologists uh, always recommend for doing any dental procedures, or actually should say, excuse me, dentists always recommend for doing any dental procedures to do prophylactic antibiotics. Not that we agree with that necessarily, but the reason is because the potential for encephalitis and some of those types of conditions. But the the heart, in fact, there's a study that uh, there's, there's a number of studies that I show in a slide on the seven toxicity presentation of the faction of toxicity. When I talk about the opportunistic, the bacteria, the viruses, the spirochetes, mycoplasma, yeast, etc., and that that particular uh, slide has various studies that have been done to show the opportunistic uh, relationship to cardiovascular disease. I don't know whether you remember some years back, chlamydia being associated with uh, atherosclerosis and starting the actual inflammatory cascade that contributes to heart disease. Uh, yes. There's been a lot of there's a lot of different uh, viral components that have been actually discussed with that view. Um, there's been all sorts of different studies done showing various types of pathogens and how those pathogens have been postulated to start the, to initiate the atherosclerotic plaque formation, the atheroma formation. We know that part of that is also the, the microvascular damage caused by the uh, heavy metal uh, as far as the oxidative stress is concerned, but we also know that 
there's a tremendous amount of, of pathogens that also contribute to that. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it isn't about just killing bad guys, right? If you kill the bad guys, like we talked about with the triple strength antibiotics that used to not work, now they work suddenly for MRSA. You destroy the not only the flora, but the fauna. You destroy the gut integrity that allows for the viable thriving of the microbiome, which is so critical to more and more things as we're learning. And the more they, they discover, the more they realize we didn't know stuff about how much we rely on the bacterial world. And so the terrain, like Antoine Béchamp said, is everything. Uh, the germ is little or nothing. In the big picture, when you have the terrain in order, what happens is the manifestation of health, of vitality, of life. That's absolutely right. And I think that uh, just being aware of it is, is putting us far ahead of the curve. Well, a lot of people yeah. don't even realize that. So just putting, ahead of us, putting us ahead of us put us far ahead. Robert, I know we're coming down to the bottom of the hour. I just want to say to the listeners, for the people that are IACFW members, there is something specific for their prostate, for prostate health on the IADSW to check that out because it's something Sign up. more beneficial yeah. than anything else. Yeah, we'll see you on the uh, seminar. In the meantime, the power to heal is definitely yours. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.